Hello and welcome to the Government Digital Service Podcast. My name is Vanessa Schneider and I'm Senior Channels and Community Manager at GDS. In August, we recorded an episode on digital identity and single sign-on as part of our plans to develop one inclusive and accessible way for people to log into all government services online. You heard from Will and Helena from GDS, as well as Tom from Veterans UK, who shared how we worked with other parts of government to shape this work. Since then, we passed the digital identity service assessment, integrated our authentication component with the first service, and completed research with more than 800 end users. And it's that research that we want to talk about today. Joining me in this are Lauren Gorton and Charlotte Crosland, both user researchers at GDS in the digital identity program. Lauren, could you please kick us off by introducing yourself and what you do? So I'm Lauren. I'm a user researcher on the digital identity program in GDS. Uh, and specifically, I work in the authentication team. Uh, we look at the, the credentials that people use as part of the single sign-on. Um, and, and the first steps of our journey went live in October. Um, so specifically, I focus on the end user um, aspect of that and, and focus on the citizen side. Fantastic. Thanks. Charlotte, could you please introduce yourself and what you do as well? Absolutely. Hi, everyone. I'm Charlotte. I'm a user researcher on the digital identity program, working in the design for adoption team. We've been doing a lot of research with service teams across government. We're building an authentication onboarding journey, as well as looking at identity materials that teams can use to make decisions. Fantastic. Thank you so much, both. So not everyone will have listened to the previous podcast episode or have read the blog posts that we've written about this work. Would one of you mind explaining a bit more about One Login for Government? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, One Login for Government is, is one of the government's major projects um, at the moment. On gov.uk, there, there are several different sign-ins at the moment and many different routes users could take. So what we're trying to do is, is streamline that down so that in the future, there'll just be one single sign-on uh, for gov.uk um, to help improve uh, the journeys for users and reduce confusion um, for people. That then opens the door to do lots of other cool things in the account space so that people aren't having to repeat themselves too often um, in different services. And it helps government to basically join up a bit better. Great stuff. Um, I can see the importance in that. Uh, obviously, this is a loaded question to ask, given both your roles as user researchers. But I was wondering, why is user research so integral to that? So that there's no point in building something um, if people won't or can't use it. Um, and the only way we know if we're on the right tracks is, is if we actually speak to the people who are the intended users. That's probably important for, for any organization or business, but it's especially important in the context of government. Um, given how important government services are, if, if people can't access them, that could have a huge impact um, on people's lives. So we can't really afford to build something which people either can't use um, or won't use. So then the citizen side um, of the research, our approach is to gather insights um, at all stages of the project and from as representative a sample of people as possible. Uh, one thing is that we're not reinventing the wheel. Uh, there have been other government projects that have come before us who, who've done work on single sign-in services. Um, so there's a lot of existing research and insights that we can sort of learn from as a first step. So we we initially did some very extensive desk research, um, including research artifacts from Verify, Government Gateway, recent COVID projects, um, and, you know, getting lessons learned from peers in the NHS who are working on the NHS login at the moment as well. Um, so it's kind of given us a running start, really, um, to see what worked well before us and, and what didn't work so well. 
Um, and, and we then built on top of that with our own research. So for a variety of different techniques, things like doing interviews with people, um, conducting surveys, um, testing our journeys as, as we develop them and, and iterating them. Um, and since May, despite the impact of COVID and, and the issues that's had with research, we obviously haven't been able to go out and actually talk to people face to face. We've had to adjust how we work and do everything remotely. Um, but despite that, yeah, we've managed to speak to um, over 800 end users, as you mentioned, since May. Um, but on top of that, it is really important to call out that once something's live, it, it's not live and then done. So now that we're live with, with the first steps of authentication, um, we've also got thousands of users who are now going through the live service and we're getting insights from those people as well. So relying a lot on our feedback form and also the analytics um, that runs for our service to better understand, okay, so these are real people using it in a real life scenario. How is it working for them um, and where can we keep improving it? So it's kind of that balance of we're doing a lot of research um, with people to help um, optimize before we go live. And then as it's live, we're still monitoring it and trying to improve. Wow, there's a lot of work going into it, I can see. And it's really heartening to hear that you're taking on the lessons from the past. And actually, that probably relates to the work that we're doing with other departments because they have existing identity solutions, don't they, Charlotte? Yeah, absolutely. So our approach um, from gathering insights from service teams and government has been a bit different from doing research with end users. It's a bit of a different dynamic. The real key to this is collaboration. So like other government platform products, our users are peers working across government. They've been working with a range of roles from product people to service owners, researchers, designers, developers, even like data analysts, um, both across central and local government. And it's been really fundamental to tap into, again, the existing work that's there. Um, digital identity is a well-trodden area across government. So fundamental has been creating a space of trust and being as open as possible with teams and departments. It's important that we take aspects of that into our approach, not only internally within the program, but taking that approach externally across government. Um, yeah, if the whole team is supporting and involved in that session, we have the capabilities and materials to produce really rich UR. Building up that trust and developing relationships is far more important because they're the teams that are building and developing the services themselves in their everyday lives. Obviously, service teams will have also conducted um, user research for their services with end users. How did that integrate into sort of your knowledge base? Yeah, so that was a part of the, the desk research that we did um, kind of in Discovery Alpha. Um, we went through hundreds of different documents to, to try and understand that. Um, but as well, we've also since had sessions with teams. Um, so basic digital service, um, you know, they, they have a really good component for certain aspects of the authentication journey. Um, so you know, we're, we're trying to make sure, again, we're not reinventing the wheel. So if things have worked for, for their end users, um, it's going to work for any end users as well. So we've, been, we've you know, met with them, tried to understand the component, looked at some of the data behind it, and have applied that aspects of that to our own journeys as well. Neat. And obviously, this could be really interesting for folks, depending on how long we're going to be in these unprecedented times or with the future of work being maybe more remote working. How is it conducting user research while maybe not having direct access to people? 
Good question. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's been difficult. Um, I think it was definitely for user researchers, just in general, it's hard if, if you know, you're not in the room with them. Um, and something that user researchers need to be able to do is to have like a good rapport with, with participants. And it can be hard to try and build that up um, remotely and to, you know, reassure people and calm them down remotely over a video call. Um, so yeah, there are different frustrations to it, um, particularly if someone runs into an issue in the middle of a, a session. Um, we can see their screen and what they're doing, but if they go onto a different device because they want to search something on their mobile phone. Um, you know, we can't see what they're doing um, and we can't help them. So that's caused challenges as well. So it's been a big challenge for communication, I think. Um, but there are there are positives to it as well. Um, it's quite nice to you know have a video call with someone. They dial in. Um, you're in the session if it goes well, and then you can just dial off. That's the session done. You can go, you know, go grab a coffee <laughs> to then try and absorb what you've just learned. So yeah, there are nice things to it as well. Yeah, definitely echo Lauren's point around that interaction and no matter who you're researching with, whether it's citizens or service teams, it's really difficult to get that rapport up online compared to in person where you can read people's body language their tone it's a very different dynamic and i think what's i've learned the most about doing research with service teams is that they are our peers and as we've mentioned before digital identity is a well-trodden area and it's about collaboration as much as it is user research with those power dynamics that are often associated with it. I think as well on the analysis side, so we're really fortunate to have tools that really help bridge those gaps from doing analysis in person to remote ways. They've, yeah, they've been um, so valuable. Charlotte's like, raised a really good point there as well, which I totally missed that um, afterwards with our colleagues when we're trying to like go through what we've heard in the session, that's been super hard as well because we're not all just sat around the table together uh, with notes and, and writing on a whiteboard. So yeah, that's been a real struggle as well. I think that a lot of listeners can relate to the difficulties that you face, the challenges that have presented themselves, but it is nice to note that there are some things that have helped or some things that are manageable, at least, uh, despite the circumstances. So that's really encouraging. So it's great to see that we've got these partnerships going with other departments. How do these partnerships come about and why is that so important to us? Great question. So we're collaborating at multiple levels in government departments. So recently, colleagues have kicked off strategic department level work with the big departments, and these will continue to be expanded on. We're also working directly with services at service team level, as well as clusters of services to give us a really wide and deep view of requirements. So we've been building on from the robust thinking that of digital identity that already exists within government. The collaboration has shaped the program thinking. So the development of the roadmap to functionality requirements, to prioritizing specific work, such as exploring low levels of confidence, which uh, our team is currently looking at. So as mentioned before in the previous Digital Identity podcast, as well as collaborating externally, we need to reflect 
internally and learn from Verify. So to do this, we're ensuring inclusivity is at the core of what we're doing. We're not using third party or private sector identity providers to verify users' identity. We're not taking a one size fits all approach. We're designing for the needs of service teams. So doing research with service teams has really sought to address these last two points. I think one of the key collaborations, for example, the one with DFE has come about through one of our key findings, actually. So this is around cluster services. So end users of cluster services are likely to see the benefits of a reusable set of credentials more readily as they're able to use the same authentication username and password to access them. So we've spotted clusters in well-known departments like HMRC or the home office initially, but we've also found clusters in all sorts of places across government. So users of companies house, land registry, farmers using DEFRA services, drivers using DVLA services, as well as teachers or students using DFE services. Yeah, so with our end user um, research, um, we've always been researching around the single sign-on and and how that benefits our users. The single sign-on is a solution that we feel best helps to meet other user needs we found in research, Um, but to do so in a way that also meets people's expectations and fits mental models as as, as to how people look at government. Um, So in terms of user needs, like at its simplest level, our users need to be able to access government services. They come to gov.uk with a task in mind, and and that's kind of what they care about doing and all they care about doing. Um, They need to be able to do that without having to understand all the complexities of government um, and have to try to unpick that. So, you know, a user shouldn't have to land on the gov.uk homepage and say, okay, today I'm trying to do this task. Um, This service owns that task, and this service sits in this department, and that department uses this sign-in. Um, So I need to go over there and specifically it's these credentials I have to use if I can remember what that, what those credentials are. Um, So, you know, users shouldn't have to do that. And it's not just the case they shouldn't have to do it, but it also doesn't fit into how they look at government. Um, So we found in our research, um, and this is general uh, because mental models are general, not everyone thinks this way, but a lot of people sort of look at government and they see it as a single entity. We talk about the government and, and, and you know that that's how people see it they don't think about all the complexities behind it and and as part of that you know we have heard people in research sessions and participants saying you know i expect to just have the one account because i'm dealing with the government i need our government account to talk to the government um so that's what we've sort of had coming out of our research sessions and, and whilst we've heard that in research sessions prior to going live again since going live we, we've also seen some data that also supports this too. Um, so for instance, we have our feedback form, which people using the live service can come to. Uh, one of our most common themes in our feedback form is um, one we call queries outside of our scope. And that's just basically for anything that's actually to do with a different service. So what we are seeing is a lot of people hitting our journey, going into our feedback forms, um, and they're leaving us feedback about different services, um, or they're saying, I can't sign in. Um, and, you know, when we go back to them and we unpick it, it's because they're trying to sign in. It's like a gateway or a verify because they want to do something with the tax, for instance. They, they've come to us in error. Um, so we are seeing in live that this confusion is a problem. Um, it's the same with our analytics as well. We're seeing people um, coming to our journey, trying to sign in and having to go down those unhappy path routes because they're confused about whether or not they do have an account. And, and it's one of those things from a user perspective that as long as there are multiple accounts out there, um, 
that confusion will exist to an extent. There's only so much we can do with research and design. So the more services we get onboarded um, and the more we reduce the number of sign-ins, it's kind of the only way to really completely get rid of that confusion for people. Definitely teams that have sign-in already have seen account confusion from end users. It's a very well-known um, problem. I think similarly to Lauren's point around service teams, so authentication and digital identity isn't a straightforward team need. So teams often integrate with identity as part of bigger changes and plans they're going through within their delivery cycle. But related to that, so checking people's identity documents is a really onerous process for service teams in government. It's really costly. Identity checks might not be up to scratch. So ultimately, online identity checks could save teams a lot of time and money. It's also important to add to that, the offline routes will always be fundamental. So users and service teams will always need offline routes. Yeah, definitely important to stress. We're not taking anything away from folks. We're just trying to make it easier. We're trying to make it one single, safe, reliable, fast and effective way for everyone to log into government services online. That's the mission. So earlier you mentioned trust, and then you also talked about how our new solution isn't going to use third-party um, providers to verify people's identities. Is that linked? Yeah, so uh, on the identity side, our research has been really addressing exploring service team mental models around digital identity. So really digging into how teams feel and talk about identity understanding the types of language that they use. Equally, we've been understanding how services decide on the level of confidence of an identity check. So who's involved in that decision-making process? What are the roles and teams in the department that are integral to this? And I think there's a really interesting design challenge of how we can effectively communicate how teams go about choosing an appropriate level of confidence that maps back to GPG-45 the good practice guide. There's a lot of evidence that shows GPG-45 doesn't equip teams to understand what identity profile or level of confidence is most appropriate. The guidance doesn't explain how this choice will affect a service's end user journey. That wasn't the aim of the guidance, but equally the level of confidence a service chooses should be informed by the service's risk appetite you did talk that your research reveals uh, there are clusters, for instance, in different departments. Are we working with all of them? If not, why should departments be working with us? So it's really that sharing of knowledge and insights and that collaboration that can make digital identity a possibility in government. So teams, practical things that teams can expect from the partnership is like access to the technical documentation that we've been testing so they've really got to shape what that looks like. They've been able to like play around with it. How does that work in their integration environment? It's been really insightful for both parties involved. Well, in that case, I really hope more teams will register their interest in the private beta. Because after all, as you said, you know, earlier adopters will reap greater rewards in the situation, really shaping what gets done. So, Lauren, I know on your side specifically, there was quite an innovative approach with respect to how we use user insight uh, to provide a full picture of the complexities of user lives. Can you explain a little bit more about what that involved? So that was from our, our alpha assessment. Um, so, so during alpha, 
rather than using personas, which are a really traditional way to basically group your users, um, we use mindsets instead. Um, so the difference really is that whilst both tools are used to, to group your users, you can't focus, unfortunately, on everyone individually. We need a way to, to group our users um, so that we can see the different types of people using the service and we can include those in the design uh, process and refer back to it. Um, personas do that by quite heavily focusing on demographics. So you might create personas um, where you're you're having different age ranges from your users represented, um, different ethnicities, gender, um, even things like do they have an access need? Um, and then what you do on top of that is say, okay, so what goals will this different types of users have when they're trying to use a product or service? So that's how personas work with that very heavy um, demographic influence. Um, mindsets are different in that we don't think about demographics at all. Um, instead, we're trying to group our users based on shared behaviors and attitudes in a, in a particular situation. Um, so mindsets focus much more on the different ways people might behave um, and the reasons which are driving those behaviors. Um, so sometimes personas are the right tool to use, um, but there is a risk of things like stereotyping um, and subconscious bias. Um, and to be honest, just in our, in our context, because our users are everyone in the UK, plus international people. Um, it's kind of hard to use personas because we'd have to make tens of personas to try and represent that, um, which just wouldn't be manageable or usable. Um, so we needed a different tool to approach grouping our users to make sure we were designing for everyone. Um, and, and mindsets kind of naturally fell out of our research as a way to do it. Um, so specifically, we developed our mindsets during alpha um, whilst we were doing initial prototype testing. We kept hitting this, this same problem in our journey that at the point in our journey where we needed users to either create an account um, or sign in, we were seeing a lot of people choosing to sign in, which was just a bit odd because this was before we'd gone live. So obviously gov.uk account was a new account. Um, in theory, everyone should be choosing to create an account at that point. Um, and when we spoke to people in, in the sessions to understand what was happening, what we realized was um, they were getting confused. They had existing government accounts, like a gateway account or a verify account, and they were trying to use the credentials from those accounts to, to sign in at that point. They weren't understanding that this was a different type of account. Um, and many of the people and different teams in the project uh, looking at different areas of single sign-on, they were seeing the same results as well. So we kind of knew it was a, a common issue. Um, naturally, we tried to test lots of different variations of the journey to try and like resolve that confusion. But the more we were looking at it, the more we could see there were these sort of five common groups of, of participants that, that we could see coming out of it. And those were the groups that ended up becoming our mindsets. Um, so these mindsets were basically focusing on how much previous experience did these participants have of using government services and, and having government accounts. Um, how confused would they then get at this point in our journey? And, and really importantly, how were they feeling? about that and how were they reacting? What were they saying? So for instance, participants with uh, very little experience of government services who didn't have previous accounts, they showed absolutely no confusion um, at this point in our journey. And their attitude was very much, you know, okay, fine. <laughs> this, this makes sense. What do I do next? Um, so those were our, our clean slate mindsets because effectively that's, that's what that group of users were. But then on the other end of that spectrum, uh, we have participants who you know, they did have an existing account, like a gateway account, as an example. Um, they used it quite frequently. And when they hit this point in our journey, they were getting really confused um, about what to do. They're trying to sign in. 
and they weren't understanding our error handling about why they didn't have an account um, and they were reacting really negatively to it. And there were different reasons why they were reacting negatively, but they kind of all revolve around the issue of single sign-on and the fact that we have multiple sign-ins and accounts that exist today. So for some participants, it was the case of they had a gateway and it was the only account they'd ever needed because they'd only ever done stuff relevant for gateway. So they, they thought that was a single sign-on. Um, and they thought it was a single sign-on because they had the expectation they should only need one account when interacting with government. And then for other participants, it was more the case of they were just frustrated because they'd need to create another account. That's another set of credentials to remember. And they also need to remember where to use those credentials. Um, so, yeah, uh, we found these different groups coming out uh, and ended up with sort of five mindsets overall, which we were then using to input into our design process. So you mentioned the alpha assessment. Um, can you share a little bit about the feedback that you received? Yes. Yeah, so so within our alpha assessment, um, so we, ha- we had another user researcher, um, one from Department for Education, who was our assessor um, for the user research aspect. So they were very happy with the mindsets approach. They thought it was a good way to to look at user needs um, and to try and understand our users. So we actually followed that up with um, a session where we kind of explained mindsets um, and and they did another cross session where we we broke down user needs in a better way. So it was kind of turned into a cross learning opportunity. Um, So that that was was quite nice to do. (laughs) Great. Thank you for giving us this overview of mindsets. Um, I was wondering how it might be relevant? Um, how does it strengthen the understanding of complex user needs maybe beyond uh, single sign-on? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so your mindsets, they're, they're not unique to, to single sign-on, but they're a really nice tool to use um, if you want to group users in a different way to personas. So how mindsets were most helpful for us is, you know, we had a problem um, that we were trying to understand better why this problem was happening, why people are behaving that way, and the reasons driving it. Um, so with our mindsets, they were really useful in designing our error scenarios in particular. So, you know, we knew, okay, we've got these groups of users. Um, and at this point in our journey, this group in particular is going to struggle. And the reasons why they're struggling is this. Um, so do we need to put content here to help? Do we need to um, change the design pattern? If we do that, is that going to impact a different group of mindset? Um, so it gave us that kind of better picture of how to design with our users in mind. And it also really helped with our user needs as well. So we already had um, our list of user needs that we we had insight on. So we could sort of look at those user needs and say, okay, do any of these apply more strongly to different um, mindsets? Therefore, do we need to think about those needs more so when designing for this particular group? Um, and in reverse, we could also say, okay, now we have these mindsets and, and we're understanding a bit better why people are behaving the way they are. Can we now see new user needs that that we missed before? Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's a really nice tool to use. That um, it is a general tool, so it goes beyond single sign-on, um, and is a really good way for other government teams to to better understand the way people will behave and the reasons why. You've done user research with citizens now. You've done user research with other departments. How does it feed into the development of the program? Yes, so one of our um, next deliverables in the authentication team will be around um, account recovery journeys. To create a gov.uk account, you need to link it to um, a mobile phone number so that you can authenticate with SMS codes. So when we went live with our MVP in October, we, we knew that account recovery was missing as a gap for anyone who then loses access for their mobile phone. So it was kind of on our radar as being something that we we knew we need to, needed to address at some point after um, October. 
Um, since going live, we, we have our feedback form, um, which is one of the best ways uh, for research to, to really feed into that sort of roadmap and what to work on next. Um, and yeah, in our feedback form, we're getting the feedback from people that they are hitting this issue. Um, so that was something that was already in plan to do because we'd identified it as a design gap. But the feedback form is helping us to say, yes, no, this is definitely a right priority to pursue because people are experiencing that in life. Um, and, and similarly, also on the themes of, of mobile codes, um, again, the feedback form data um, is also now telling us that the codes are an issue for anyone who lives in a poor signal area and people with international phone numbers. So that's helped us to identify, OK, actually, this is this is also a next priority the team needs to pick up. Um, so, yeah, we, we've done some extensive desk research on um, an alternative to mobile um, codes, um, including looking at the whole cyber aspect and security. Um, and we're now doing the design work to introduce an alternative to SMS codes that we can add in as an option for anyone who's either struggling, as, as, as they've told us in our feedback form, um, or who just, you know, they would prefer to use an alternate option. Yeah, so I guess our work feeds into both the authentication and the identity product. So our work stream is really committed to delivering and inviting service teams into that auth onboarding journey. So we're now accepting private beta partner requests for service teams and central government. We'll also be doing groundwork around how to add an account to that onboarding journey. And we'll be looking to publish the technical documentation live on the product page. We're also feeding into the identity stream of the program as the identity onboarding journey will follow in the third quarter of 2022. So we're really doing that groundwork of developing materials to help teams make decisions around identity strengths, around levels of confidence. Um, and this will ultimately play a central part to that identity onboarding journey. And I think it's not just a one-way approach. So we've been working with identity experts within the program as well to create an identity tool, which uses questions and answers to help teams understand what identity strength could be appropriate for their service. So that's helping us really to bridge that gap between the guidance that is already out there and helping teams make decisions. And initial feedback from research has been really fascinating. So by translating some of the logic that GPG-45 sits on, we've been using that and turning it into a really more interactive and accessible format for teams. And we're seeing teams really play around with the tool and it's really empowering them to consider what solution might be most appropriate for their service. And we're also seeing how these materials could help teams navigate conversations with security or risk teams within their department. Brilliant. So you had mentioned um, the registration for the private beta. Um, how exactly do folks get involved? What are the steps they've got to go through? So the easiest way to get involved is to go to sign hyphen in .service.gov.uk. You'll see the gov.uk sign in product page and there'll be a section there saying register your interest. So whether you're interested in login and authentication or identity, you go to that form and fill it out and then we'll be in touch. And then from there, we'll do a half hour chat to understand your service at a high level. And you'll be then in our pipeline where you'll be triaged to the relevant next steps. 
So if you're part of a service team in government, and if all of this has piqued your interest, get in touch. And if you want to go back to the previous episodes on digital identity and other topics, you can listen to all episodes of the Government Digital Service Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. And the transcripts are available on Podbean. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.